Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Travel and Tourism Podcast, my first season. Today's guest and I have never worked together before, but over the years, I've heard many, many funny stories about this person from XGOs. His first season was in 1992 in February in Sandpiper. He started, believe it or not, as the manager of the Annex restaurant. He is from New Jersey and very entertaining, very hilarious. I'm very happy to get him on the show. So please, everyone, help me give a warm my first season welcome to Sammy. Sammy, we did it. You're here. We got it. Yeah. How are you? Finally, all is good here in northern New Jersey. Oh. Um, <laughs> although I, I do have to kind of sort of correct. Sure. Not originally from New Jersey. I really hate saying I'm from New Jersey because it, it, the stigma behind it is a bit frightening. Originally from Philadelphia and grew up predominantly in Fort Lauderdale. So, you know, it, it was actually kind of sad and funny that my first season ended up being Florida. Yeah, that was probably the one one destination you were hoping not to get sent to. I'm Actually, guessing, right? when I when I got hired on spot in uh, Manhattan, my recruiter hired me by saying, "Where do you want to go?" <laughs> Said to her, "Oh my God, does this mean I have the job?" Said, "Oh, honey, your club med, you know, dream on paper. Yeah, definitely." And I said, well, Nancy, I understand that currently there are 136 clubs worldwide. I'll tell you where I don't want to go. You're not them in Florida. I lived down there for 10 years, and I have zero desire to go back unless it's to visit for a couple weeks with friends and family. And with that being said, definitely do not send me to Colorado. I have never skied. I know nothing about skiing. Colorado would be pointless. And my first two ended up being Piper and uh, Copper Mountain. <laughs> okay, now hold on a sec. We're going to get back to that interview. But before that, I want you to take me back a bit because yep. I understand before Clemed, you uh, you had a double major in college. You were I, in hus- hospitality yeah. management and musical theater. Is this yeah. true? Yeah, which is why Nancy felt I was like the ideal candidate to be a GO and, and especially for the position that they needed me for. Apparently, they were in dire need of an annex manager in Sandpiper which is why I got hired as quickly as I did. In fact, it was funny. I had had a beard and mustache as of age 15, and I was forced to shave it off at the tail end of my senior year of college due to um, a job I took for uh, college credit. And because I interviewed relatively quickly after graduating college, I hadn't grown it back yet, which I knew only took me a week and a half. I asked Nancy, you know, could I have facial hair while working for the club? And she said to me, only if you grow it while you're not working for us. Um, You can't grow it while you're working for the club. And I said, well, how soon am I leaving to go someplace? And she said, within the week. And I was like, okay, then I won't be growing my beard. Okay. You, you keep jumping ahead here because you, you, I want to talk about this musical theater a bit there. <laughs> so. um, the, the musical theater stuff. I, you know, I, I might not have done what I did in college if it hadn't been for my fraternity brothers. One of the best things that the musical theater department pounded into our heads was most actors, out-of-work actors, always have something to fall back on. And when I started uh, trying to get into my fraternity, my roommate, who was also uh, pledging with me to get into the same fraternity, told my fraternity brothers without my knowing it that I was a great cook. 
and within a week, I was doing brunch every Sunday in our apartment for 60 guys. We would do it in two shifts because as big as our apartment was, it wasn't going to be big enough to hold 60. But because I was doing that, I realized that my backup job, if I was going to have to have something, should have something to do with food. And I checked out the hospitality management program, which was literally brand new as of that year. And I decided to double major. And sure enough, you know, it was one of the things that attracted Club Med to me most that, you know, I had a lot of background in both fields. So, you know, off uh, I went. Well, well, I, I remember before when we spoke before, I remember saying like, how, how is it possible that you were first season given you were manager of the annex restaurant? Normally you have to work your way up towards it, but I'm told in college, your senior year, you actually owned your own catering company. Correct? I did. I did. Oh, okay. Um, due to my fraternity becoming progressively more and more expensive. And there was only one of the fraternity brother and I who were the poor fraternity brothers. The majority of my fraternity brothers came from very wealthy families. That's why um, our fraternity nickname as Zeta Beta Tau was either Zionist Bank Trust or Zeta Beta Trust Fund. Okay. <laughs> now, um, okay, so I'm Canadian, so I didn't know that you have to pay, you have to pay to be in a fraternity? You have, no. You have, you have dues I, or something? No, but there are things that we did for the fraternity that required payment. I was our black tie uh, formal chairman for four and a half years, and that cost a, a fair amount of money, especially my senior year when I did the only away one. I took us off campus, completely off campus, to uh, Kingston, Ontario, because it was only about 45 minutes, uh, an hour and 45 minutes to an hour and 30 minute drive from Syracuse. And I, I had been with my ex-fiance and with my little brother and his ex-girlfriend now, um, because she was my ex-fiance's ex-roommate. We had been a couple of times and I knew what a fantastic Kingston was, but that was an expensive weekend. I mean, the formal itself was over a hundred dollars and then we had to get rooms for the weekend as well. So, you know, that cost money, t-shirts that we had made up, you know, whatever reason, those cost money. And buying a sweatshirt for your little brother with any letters on it, that was relatively expensive at $60 a pop. So yeah, I mean, we didn't have to pay to be in the fraternity, but if we wanted to, you know, stay within the norm, for lack of a better word, for the fraternity, you, you had to lay out amount of money. Now, let me ask you an important question we haven't addressed yet. So was it before college or after college? Like when did you first hear about Club Med? Like how this is this is a great story. Okay. Um, my ex-fiance and I split a week before I graduated. She got her master's I'm my undergrad. And we split literally the day before our last and final week of, of college. And we were living together at the time. She wanted to get married, have kids, and basically, you know, live on nothing. And I really wanted to see the world didn't you know work as far as us meshing so we decided it would be best to just quit and i i really didn't know at the time that i was gay but i was leaning heavily toward that and i had a, an ex-girlfriend and her older sister when i was in high school came out while his daughters one had just started college and the other was a junior and 
he just destroyed his family. And I'm just so glad that I didn't end up doing that. The idea of seeing the world appealed to me so much. I don't remember how I heard about it. I sent away just as I was graduating. In fact, I got the book sent here to my house in Jersey. It was a book on all of the cruise ship information around the world and uh, their human resources info. And the book guaranteed that if you didn't get hired for at least one of them within three months, they would refund your $60, no questions asked. The very last chapter in the book was Club Med. And I, I read the thing like seven or eight times. The thing that I kept coming back to was standard salary for a club staff member is $350 a month. I remember the very first time I read that, I was like, are they insane? I can spend that in a day, let alone a month. And then by the last time I read it, I sat back and I did a little math in my head. Oh, that's a joke. Um, and I said to myself, well, let's think about this. They're giving me, you know, bar money. They're paying for my, my food and my room and whatnot. If I put money away, I could actually probably make decent money. Yet that never happened. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, th this could work. The book had said also that as far as Club Med, if you sent in everything the Club Med was asking for, it would take anywhere from four to six weeks because they got so many applicants. Then my, my picture and my application stuff, and I heard back from them within three days. <laughs> The yeah, it was unbelievably fast. I blow my mind fast. Got the information back about you know, Paulus. We want to set up an interview with you. Old on a Friday, they wanted me to come in the following. Uh, no, they wanted me to come in a week from the, the following Monday. So they gave me like basically ten days to play around with. I had to run out and buy a suit. And then I got so stressed over the interview, I lost so much weight prior to the interview that two days before I had to rush to the tailor and have my pants taken in because it had gotten to the point where I could take them off without unbuttoning them. Okay. Um, I, I went into Manhattan for the interview. I was ridiculously early. Again, nervous as old. You know. The office at the time in Manhattan was basically right next door to Gucci. And I thought, yeah, hey, a couple of reads off. I mean, eh, I'll shop. I you know, strolled around in Gucci. I remember looking at a belt that cost more than everything I was wearing combined, <laughs> which is when I quickly left Gucci and, and grabbed a coffee and a, a Danish. Um, until it was time for me to go up for the interview. I, I go up to where they were sending everybody. It was me and probably about 10 or 12 other people. I was the only one in a suit was in the ripped jeans and t-shirts or sweatpants i said dear god people have you never interviewed for a job have some respect for yourself they handed out after we finished the uh, video on the club the clipboards for us to fill out fill out and do our paperwork for the process and as i put my pen down on my clipboard my recruiter walked in and looked at me and said are you done already I was like mm, yeah follow me and the only thing that was a little scary was nancy looked at all my information in my resume and said to me you don't speak any other language and nancy i'll be honest with you i took spanish in high school 
My ex fiance is Costa Rican and fiery tempered, and her family predominantly spoke to me in Spanish, but it's been so long since I've used it or even needed to use it. I wouldn't call what I speak in Spanish anymore speaking Spanish. And without waiting a second, she starts to fire questions at me in Spanish. And I had that three to five second, oh my God, deer in headlights, brain freeze. And then I started to answer her in Espanol. And when we finished, a few minutes later, she said, you're right. Your Spanish is a tiny bit rusty. But if I sent you to Mexico, Spain, or the Dominican Republic, you could answer questions, give directions, or direct them to somebody. I was like, oh, God, yes. And that's when she said to me, where do you want to go? And, you know, it, it was off and running from there. Okay, let's well, let's get to the village. So do you arrive February 92? Do you remember anything? Like, who was the chief of village? What, 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 what uh, actually, memories do you have? I went through six roommates and six chiefs of village that particular season. <laughs> I was okay. only... Because Nancy sent me to someplace I, I really, really did not want to go to, although it turned out to be a gigantic blessing that I never would have foreseen had I not actually gotten to do the amount of time I got to do there. And the changing of jobs as well. The roommate situation, the first roommate I had, I only had for literally one night. It was the um, excursions geo, who was a biker dude, who when I walked into the outer area of, of our two rooms he was holding a gigantic hunting knife and it was four in the morning by the way because our flight had gotten ridiculously late and you know they just sent us wherever they were going to send us until they could get things sorted out the following morning and he said to me don't get comfortable you're not staying and he turned on his heel and just slammed his door i was terrified i didn't sleep for the few hours that i had 7 a.m., I was required to go to the restaurant to meet head of the restaurants, as well as the head of the restaurants for the zone, both of whom we've since lost. They've both passed away. And, you know, being trained by Nikos and Risto, I, I could not have been more blessed. But, you know, it, it that, that first week was just such a comedy of errors. I got roommate number two. Um, within a day, he was a tennis geo. He lasted a week. He hated people. Why would you take a resort job when you when you know you don't like people? That made literally no sense to me. And then they shuffled me through three or four more roommates until I finally got Blender Man, and he was my roommate for the pretty much the remainder of my season. He left a month or so before I did. Nancy had promised me, my recruiter, that I would only be doing two, two and a half months in Sandpiper initially. And then they were sending me to the Dominican Republic. It was why I basically you know, folded and gave in to taking Sandpiper. I, I, I really did want to see the Dominican Republic. Turns out I didn't get to see that until 1994, but that's not the point. Who was your chief of village that season I in 92? I started with Claude Vigée within a week and a half. Maybe two weeks, uh, Claude and his wife, Claudia, uh, no, Bernard Vigier, excuse me, Bernard and his wife, Claudia, left. Carlos Castro, who's one of my all-time faves, replaced him. Um, Greg Snyder, eventually, two, three months later, replaced Carlos. I worked with Greg a bunch of times. 
Um, when Greg left, he was replaced by Leonardo Berté, who is why I ended up doing Copper. Um, and the day before I left, I had a Jean-Paul something. <laughs> I really didn't even bother to get to know my final chief of village because I literally had one day left. So I, I wasn't getting invested in another chief of village for one day. That was pointless. Carlos, truly one of the most fair and nicest and, and, and greatest chiefs I've ever had the pleasure of working with, was the reason I was basically allowed to switch from being annex manager to being entertainer or animator. Actually, it was funny. When I called my closest sorority friend that I was the animator for Club Med, she thought I meant I was a cartoonist. <laughs> and that I'd be drawing and I, I had to do some explaining there. But when um I was doing when I was just about into the middle of my third month as an annex restaurant manager, the annex restaurant manager that I trained and the food and beverage director actively trying to get me fired. The food and beverage director hated me from day one. I would love to say it's because he was French and I was American, but I don't really believe that, that was the entire reason behind that. Anyway. Carlos called me into his office one afternoon and told me that he was told I was drinking wine out of my private annex uh, wine reserve. And I said to him, oh, that is such an absolute blatant bogus lie, Carlos. I know exactly who you heard that from. It's the food and beverage director and the annex manager that I myself trained. They're sitting in my annex every night, not even his drinking wine out of my reserve again not even his and they're going to try and tell you that i did it my staff will back me up carlos in the blink of an eye if you want me to have to get them to do that but you know what i think it's time to make a change tony's already put me in you know a show of hers i'm being wasted as she said in in the annex i should be in an animator. I, I really think that would be the smartest change. And he says to me, well, here's the problem. Granted, the position is going to be open within a tiny bit less than a month or so. There are two of you who want. So you're going to have to compete for it. And, you know, whoever doesn't get the job is going to be out of money for the two and a half months that you're going to be competing. Are you okay with that? And I said, absolutely. I will take that chance if it means, you know, getting to do and be the job that I want. And what was said and funny was nobody bothered to tell the gestionaire and the accountants that I had gone from contract management salary to no contract at all. And at the end of the two and a half months, I knew I was winning the contract within two days. Park against hated kids and which means he was definitely in the wrong village you know sandpaper baby club and all not the place you want to be if you're not a fan of kids he would get annoyed at a three or four year old and just chuck the kid into the pool <laughs> you say to him dude you can't do that how do you know that child can swim his answer was always ask him. <laughs> I, I do owe a, a gigantic debt of gratitude because puck Without them, I would never have created 
character from, a character that stuck with me for a good eight and a half of the nine years that I worked in the club on and off. Puck and I decided one afternoon, because we were both from the Northeast of the United States, that it would be really funny. We created an obnoxious Jewish mother-daughter combo. And I, I, I was, of course, by the mother and Puck was going to play the obnoxious daughter. As ugly a drag queen as I was, he made me look like Sophia freaking Loret. <laughs> he was just a beast as, as a woman. I based my character the entire time I did her for however many years I did her on the best and the worst of my mother and my grandmother. My grandmother never even held a cigarette. My mother chain smoked right up until she had her heart attack. And even that night, as they were wheeling her out of our house, the female MT said to anchor, do you think you want to put the cigarette out now? We're going to give you oxygen. <laughs> and my mother's answer was, bear with me. I know it's my last puff. And she smoked the entire ride out of the house. Um, so, of course, Sylvia had to be a smoker. And I made sure to smoke my mother's brand as well, which back then was like smoking air. Both women would take anything not nailed down on the buffet and shove it into their bag. So I always made sure I had some kind of gigantic beach bag when I was you know, playing Sylvia. We never created a granddaughter for Sylvia, although we did talk about her, her granddaughter frequently. But, you know, having having been trained by the two men who trained me, one of whom you worked with, Greg, I could not have been luckier. I got trained by George and Bam Bam. Ah, Bam Bam. George, yes. Yeah. Bam Bam, who told me that this is what was funny about this. Signature character, i.e. his Energizer Bunny. Yes. <laughs> and run with it. Run with it the entire time you work for the club. Never let it go. You're always going to piss off somebody. And, you, and, and that's because you're going to do it, do it all the way. You know, don't don't hold back just because you're afraid you're going to annoy or, or upset somebody. It's going to happen. But chances are you'll be funnier to more than not to just take the chance and run with it. And if you have to, you know, hone it down or change it up a little bit so it doesn't become offensive and whatnot, you, you'll cross that bridge when you get to it. George was um, a professionally trained opera singer with an unbelievably sick and twisted sense of humor. That's the that's the season I also learned um, Flash Cabaret. And again, trained for Flash Cabaret by somebody, thank God, still a close friend, Eric Goldberg, another Northeastern ah, Jew. Goldberg, yeah. yes. Yeah. You two did Flash Cabaret together? Oh, yeah. Oh, boy. That must have been oh, something, yeah. huh? Oh, God, it was unreal. And what was funny was when I got sent to Copper the following season because of his unbelievable, unbelievable, you know, tutoring and, and mentoring and, and teaching of Flash Cab to me, I put together a Flash Cab team my first week there. Well, within a week, there were a handful of geos who I knew were as funny as the group I had just used who wanted to do it so bad, they ended up creating Flash Cab Group A and Flash Cab, Cab Group B. And I had to alternate the Flash Cab teams every other week in copper. It was it was nuts, but it was a ton of fun. 
A flash cabaret, if it's unright, is always a load of fun. One of the things Eric taught me was that if you're going to do flash cab, you have to do it drinking. <laughs> so, you have to yeah. you have to say that again. You have to do it. You while... have to do it while you're drinking. Oh, okay. <laughs> that Goldberg. And so okay. you know that 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 was a valid, important lesson. Not something you had to tell me twice, not back then. <laughs> the other thing that was amazing about learning in Sandpiper once I became the animator was that it made me, and I never would have foreseen this my first job, both of my jobs, an extra manager and animator made me one of, if not the most visible staff members on the team. Because as Annex, if I was off of you know in the annex they had me helping out in the main dining room because when i started with the club we didn't have days off yet that didn't start until i think 1998 or 99 when the club started trading on the new york stock exchange and they were forced to you know follow american labor laws and you know there were times even at that point where i still didn't get a day off and it wasn't something i ever complained about because it wasn't something that was ever oh, a, a big oh, appeal to me. Wait, wait, Sammy, just for a second. Are you saying that it was the moment that Club Med started trading on the stock exchange that we got a day off? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Okay. Because American labor laws say that you cannot deny a staff member at least one day off a week. You know, okay. it, it's not healthy. It's not right. They have to have at least one day. And as I said, there were plenty of times when I didn't necessarily get the day and I really didn't care. You know, I was living in paradise. You know, what could be bad between, you know, learning that I was always going to be the one that people recognized most and the easiest. And, you know, also that there were going to be times that I was really going to have to tailor what I did to the situation. Actually, let me circle back to my first week at the club because the two of the things I learned <laughs> that I don't think I ever got from that day on. On day two, stepped out of the shower. I was just about to, you know, start getting dressed and whatnot to open the annex for the night. And I stepped out of my room for a second, that tiny little towel that they give you in Sandpiper that was barely covering me into the hallway for some reason or another, and my door slammed shut. And I, of course, had no key on me. And there was no one around to ask to run to reception to get me a key. I had to cross the entire club desperately gripping <laughs> the itty-bitty towel, praying that it didn't fall off or slide or anything, and, you know, exposed parts of me that children and parents should never, ever see. By the time I got to the reception, the reception team took one look at me, and the four of them started to laugh so hard that they actually fell on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> they finally got up and wiped the tears from their eyes. Get me another key, please, so I can go change. And then I scurried back very cautiously to my room and changed and reminded myself, Never 
to ever step out of my room again without holding well, my key. It's funny you mentioned that. This this happened to me, but I was on the other end where a beautiful, beyond beautiful girl came and just barged into my room wearing a towel. And I thought, oh my God, this is it. It's happening. And no, <laughs> she she was like you. She was she did the same thing you did. So uh, so but you instead of knocking on a door, you you walked to the reception area. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. You didn't there want, was to, no you didn't want to knock. To oh, okay, okay. <laughs> I was so and, and yeah. How often does that happen? There's literally not a soul no, around. Uh, I mean, okay, yeah, it was it was close to dinner. It was like quarter to six, but come on, nobody. Is this, what, is this really? one of those? Is this one of those stories where like this could only happen to you type of story? Or oh yeah, pretty okay. much. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Day three, because I hadn't come out of the closet yet up with a female guest in the bar that night staying in C building. And if you know Sandpiper at all, you know that A, B, and C are the closest buildings to reception and the bar, and that D, E, D, E, F, and G are the far away or the further away buildings. I don't want to say far away because far away was my my uh, chief of management room in Cancun. I used to steal the circus bike every day <laughs> to get to my room from the main part of the club in Cancun to my chief of service room. And I loved that room. Don't get me wrong, because there was a stone throw at the gate. So it made sneaking people in very easy. But that's not the point. But on my way back to my room and of course the night I hooked up with her was elegant night and I was in a suit and tie I was for elegant night I was usually the only guy who is that dressed you know elegant night to the majority of male staff means wear pants <laughs> and for me it always meant wear a suit and tie and holidays wear a tux in fact for the winter holidays I was always in my black tux for the Spring summer holidays, I was always in my um, white tux jacket with the black shawl collar. Okay. Um, but uh, I was trying to get back to my room the following morning, and I thought, oh, wow, I know. I'm going to be really smart and go to my room the back way so that nobody sees me making the walk of shame. <laughs> and I well, totally well wait a minute, Sammy. I thought it was Walk of Fame for a guy. Or my well, wrong. It, okay. either Never. way. Sorry, I was I just mean, joking. Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> I had totally forgotten, however, that the back way passes by the back side of the restaurant, which is all glass windows, and it's breakfast time already. And here I am, coat slung over my shoulder, carrying my good shoes in my hand. And I suddenly hear 30 geos pounding on the glass, frantically waving at me and yelling, good morning. <laughs> I was mortified. <laughs> I, I, I don't think I had ever been that embarrassed up to that point. Um, so I made sure never to do that walk again. If I was you know, coming home from the A, B, or C buildings back to the geo building, you know, live and learn kind of thing. Were some of those um, reception girls in the restaurant? Were they on the ground laughing again? Oh, yeah, pretty <laughs> <Okay>. much. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you had some um, first season. Okay. Uh, yeah, I got dragged out of the closet by the chief of animation and the choreographer who were my two closest friends at the time. Okay, um, do you mean you mean dragged out in a, in a good way? Yeah, 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 very good way. They knew I was terrified and that I needed you know somebody to tell me it was okay. They took me to Conky Joe's. And over appetizers, Amt's Casino. That's how well I remember that night. 
I can't remember my own name some days, and yet I remember that. They said, and drinks. They said, look, you want to be gay, be gay, be straight, be straight. When we buy, be buy. But you know what? Make up your mind. You're making us crazy. And Tony <laughs> said to me, look, sweetie, the people who love you are going to love you no matter what. And the ones who don't, the hell with them. They don't matter. That's not the word she used, but we're a PG show. Thank you. So I'm not going to use that <laughs> word. <laughs> But and and the other one, John Rodriguez, the choreographer, may he rest in peace. Yes, he's for um, almost the entire rest of that season because he left about two months before I did. They sent him back to Turks. He used to love to tease that most gay men calmly step out of the closet, whereas I blew the door off the hinges. Okay. <laughs> well, and that was relatively true. Um, so many if not all of my really great club med animator characters were created in sandpiper back when i started in 92 club still had that small little two foot deep waiting pool that wrapped around the restaurant they did away with that pool i'm pretty sure i was told it was either 1995 or 96 because they insisted that it was a child safety issue same with the bar beats. My last season in uh, Punta Cana was the last season with bar beats. Go ahead. You uh, apparently have a John story. Yeah. Yeah. Because since you mentioned John and I, I did have a question to ask you about, about what you said coming out of the closet. So real quick, my first season was Turks and John Rodriguez was the uh, choreographer, was the choreographer. And uh-huh. I remember one. Yeah. And like you said, rest in peace for sure. And what I remember most vividly about him was he would actually <laughs> go. We had to we had to go to Turks and Caicos at the airport and we would set up all the planning tables and the room right. envelopes. He would always go because he swore, this is, I'm not making this up. He swore he could tell who was gay by the handwriting because you had to, you had to <laughs> fill out a card and he would go to get first crack at whoever, because he insisted he knew who was gay by the handwriting. And I always laughed at that, but you know what? He was never wrong. And and my, my second question to you is my first season, uh, other than John, there was two others that I know of that were, that were gay. And I thought that no one cared. No one cared. In fact, all the straight guys wanted more gay guys in the village to have more women for them. And they would tell, oh yeah, Greg, Greg, he he's gay. You know, don't don't go to him. You know. So I was just curious. Like, did you find did you find that no one, the majority, didn't care that you were back Pretty then? Much. You know, and as I've always said, the only thing I found with being gay and working for Club Med was it was okay if you were a certain position. It was you, it was okay to be gay if you were reception, if you were service, if you were baby petite or mini club or a- animation. Um, it wasn't okay, supposedly, if you were sports like golf, tennis, sailing and water skiing. Um, that wasn't cool. It was definitely okay to be gay if you were boutique. I mean, how they looked for gay <laughs> to be boutique, hardcore. <laughs> and God knows I worked with enough of them over the years and, and you know, did other things with them as well. But again, that's a story <laughs> for another blog. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> In Sandpiper, I create. Oh God, I created two of my favorite characters because both were good. I'm hungover. I don't want to think characters. My cocktail for the entire time I worked for Club Med and long after I stopped as well, I inherited from my dad, who's still with us. Thank God. I really should more than inherited. My father and I are and were both rusty nail drinkers, which is Scotch and Drambuie. Wait, Scotch and Drambuie? Yeah. 
It's uh, ah, and Drimbu is an orange flavored liqueur. And I, that I, I, has... I know. And you like that? Uh, we love it. Okay. I loved it. Okay. <laughs> no more. <laughs> yeah, I haven't touched any alcohol in five years now, as of last April. But I created this lost Arab character with the turban on my head and the long black robe. And at one point, I even had that imaginary dog leash. <laughs> And I would roam around the village searching for my missing camel. And by the second time I did that character, the staff decided the character had to have a name. And somebody came up with the name Sam Bowie. (laughs) I can work with that. And by the third time I did it, I realized I had to bring it into the main dining room. And I would wander around the dining room looking for my camel. And I would walk up to random tables of people having lunch find somebody who was eating beef and have an absolute epic meltdown and insist they were eating my camel. (laughs) I also created, because I learned very early on in my Sandpiper career, and and I, you know, I used to tease and call Sandpiper home base because I always ended up back in Sandpiper. You know, at one point or another, I, I always ended up circling back to Piper which I'm not complaining about. I created the missing child character because it didn't matter what language you spoke. If you heard a kid scream, mom, (laughs) your head turned. End of story. So we would tape a character name to the back of my uh, little sailor shirt. We named the character Stewie. I'm still convinced that Mad TV, that the television show stole my character and used it, but they called her Stuart. Stewie. Yeah, it was, it kind of wasn't really Stewie from Family Guy because the Stewie I was was slightly more obnoxious and not quite as bright. And and you didn't didn't sound like Rex Harrison, I imagine. No, not at all. (laughs) Never. (laughs) <laughs> my English accent's never good enough to even try and, and pass that off. Okay. Um, although I did meet a bunch of terrific English close friends who I'm so close with, thank God, English jams from Sandpiper. But screaming the word mom and watching every mother's head turn much fun. And I had tons of mothers over the years saying, I'll be your mom. And my standard answer was always the same. You're not my mom. Your boobs aren't big enough. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's true. The women in my family all have massive boobs. So in this sport, in the 38D or double D or more, you can't be a woman in my family. <laughs> created Sui, created Sambui, created, oh my God, we created, and then I have. Remind me to circle back to a Bastille Day. Well, I want to. I, I want to go forward a bit because I see that in ninety nine two thousand. Okay, you were chief. Uh, well, you had to do a stage in Pompadour, right? So you yeah. you you eventually became a chief of animation. I I was chief of animation by nineteen ninety three, and I actually to be totally fair and honest. Well, first of all, let me swing back to copper in 92 because you've had your experience with this yourself in 92 they in copper or might have even been 93 by the time this happened they fired an american from the uh, cuisine team and because he was a bit resentful and and obnoxious about getting fired he called immigration 
and inform them that at least over half of our team was working illegally. Unfortunately, was true because the gestionnaire had never bothered to do the paperwork to get everybody, you know, legalized in the States. And one afternoon in the middle of nowhere, and this had to be around like one, two o'clock, they showed up with a bunch of bands and arrested more than half of our team, including handcuffing the chief of the village and dragging him through the lobby, screaming and cursing in Italian. And uh, when they finished arresting everybody and, and you know, carting them out of the club, it, it, we sent somebody out on the mountain to find the chief of animation, Jenner, I know you've worked with as well, to tell him to stay on the mountain. And so we told him it was safe to come back. We deported Jenner to Canada ourselves until we could get his paperwork sorted out. But um, what that ended up doing, though, was it left just the choreographer, Tracy, and I to basically run the entire club. She and I, for the week, became interim chief of villages. And you know what? One week of that was more than enough. I never had the desire, the, the goal, or the aim to ever be a chief of village. I got the, the positions I wanted. When I went from Hopper to St. Lucia, and I played an ugly game to, to get St. Lucia, and the Miami office, and I met my ex, God love him, last two, yeah, was my second to last week in Sandpiper. He was doing a, a reception stage. Bobby and I met, we instantly clicked and started dating that night. And he went back to St. Lucia and I went on to Copper. And to tell you how far back I'm going, we were faxing each other. <laughs> Um, there was no email yet, no cell phones or whatnot. I mean, cell phones were out, but they weren't nearly as popular as today. And I knew that no matter what, I was doing St. Lucia at the end of my Copper Mountain stint. My me office ignored that request, faxed me and told me I was going to Turks. I faxed them and said, no, I'm not. <laughs> they faxed me and said, yes, you are. At which point I got smart, shady, but smart. I faxed my my other half, Bobby, in St. Lucia, and his best friend at the time in St. Lucia was the chief of reception, Lisa Forbell. And I said, here's what's going to happen. I want you and Lisa to wait one day, and then I want you to go into Howard's office. Howard was the chief of the village in uh, St. Lucia at the time, and tell him that you guys have a... a phenomenal, fabulous animator dying to work there and see where it goes from there because I'm going to fax him and see what I can pull. So I faxed Howard and I said, look, I know you. I know half your, more than half your team. Really want to work for you. Anything you could do to get me to St. Lucia would be greatly and unbelievably appreciated. Here's to you having a fantastic season, Sam Wardanker. Uh, no, actually, I signed it off Sammy because by then that was all anybody knew me as. There were only two people I worked with in my nine years of working for the club who ever called me Sam. And that was Tony and John from Sandpiper. Anyway, Bobby and Lisa walked in the following day. So it was a very great animator. He, he such an unbelievable addition to, to hear. Howard says, what's his name? They say Sam Ordinary. Oh, my God, that's so funny. I just got a fax from him yesterday. I'm calling the Miami office. <laughs> and he did. 
And I got the following day, I got a very fact from the Miami office that only read, well, apparently someone's going to St. Lucia. <laughs> I say, yeah, I am. Thank you very much. Nine months in St. Lucia, when I got to Copper, the Axe restaurant manager, who I, I knew but didn't know well, our third week there in the middle of the night, just up and quit and just left and didn't tell anybody I was leaving. Uh, Leonardo ran and found me shortly before dinner was going to start and said, you've got to run the Annex restaurant and you're going to have to run it until they find a replacement for you to train. The replacement I trained, uh, same thing happened in St. Lucia. It was the same person. And after saying, I ended up accidentally becoming the chief of animation in St. Lucia, the choreographer. My first week there went on vacation. So I, I took the reins. And I accidentally stole the position from her for the rest of the season, which was never my intent. It just kind of happened. Um, after St. Lucia, I went to Punta Cana, finally, which was hands down the hardest season on me physically. And I, to this day, I have no idea why. I didn't do anything differently. I ended up getting pulps on my vocal cords. I had to fly home for two weeks to get laser surgery. Ended up cutting Punta short by a month because I, I, I physically couldn't take it anymore. I left in 94, although I never said I quit. I was smart about that. I moved to Manhattan. And in 95 of that year, GA called me from Sandpiper and asked me if I was willing to come au pair for a few weeks. Sandpiper. And it was, again, it was February and it was cold as hell. New York at the time, and I was like, oh, dear God, yes. <laughs> so I did my first au pair stint in Sandpiper with her and Greg again. And then the following year, again, Sandpiper with her and Greg again. And then the following year after that, I did uh, a month and a half stint. I still can't believe my hotel let me take that kind of time off um, in Eleuthero with Mike Coleman, which was just fun. Um, one of the favorite characters that I created in Copper, the choreographer and I were both Northeasterners. We decided that because the first buffet of the week, and it was like this for me, almost every place I was was the Italian buffet. We had to create the obnoxious New York Guido couple. And we became Joey and Gina Esposito. And we were so loud and obnoxious that when people saw us coming toward their table to sit down, they would start frantically yanking napkins out of glasses as if to say the seat already taken so that we couldn't sit with them. Circling back to Bastille Day very quickly in 92, they did a huge period entrance to the restaurant with Louis and Marie Antoinette and Old Court, and they had me, of course, play the court jester. And about five minutes before dinner was the, the grand buffet was going to start, they came out and informed the group of us that they were having a problem and we had to stall. I'm like, stall? These kids are like ready to eat us. What do you want us to do? Like, well, you're actors, act. All of a sudden, the choreographer turns to my Marie Antoinette, who is a stage choreographer as well, and says, Marie, wouldn't that be interesting to see how many grapes the Dester can hold in his mouth at the same time? And I'm like, I'm looking at her, I'm like, aren't you insane? And next thing I know, Marantra and I claps her hands and yells grapes. 
and out comes this massive busing tray of grapes. And I, like an idiot, climb onto a chair and start stuffing them into my mouth while the guests count out loud. Um, when we were in Copper and we created the Joey and Gina characters, I got a little out of control one night. I, well, wait, I, wait, 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 Sammy, don't leave me hanging. How many did you stuff in your mouth? Oh, I... 62, I got, 67? I, I got 27. Okay. Oh, okay. I finally blocked old my, my windpipe and okay. was about to choke to death and i heard somebody scream he's gonna blow okay <laughs> and the next thing i know they put the garbage can under me they pop the, the top <laughs> and i just for all i was worth in Capito, as joey and gina one night we're sitting at a table of only adults and i had quite a bit to drink at that point already and i got a little too obnoxious and i i, I kept telling my gina do the banana trick and she turns to me and she said joey don't go there i'm like no nah, no nah, come on show me a banana trick it's not breaking me out to joey don't next thing i know and we were both half in the bag she climbs up onto a main dining room chair which weren't all that certain in six inch leopard stilettos and a super tight short denim mini skirt with a matching rhinestone top and her hair and she is um she is swaying back and forth so badly that uh i was terrified she was either going to take out the guests or both and screams how many of you guys want to see how many grapes my husband joey can hold in his mouth at the same time <laughs> Oh no, not this again. I broke my record though. I got the 28 that time. Um, however, uh, after Eleuthera, I didn't get to, to au pair again. However, in 1999, when my New York life imploded, the night it imploded, I, I walked back to my apartment from 53rd and 2nd, 3rd of the 9th, which was quite a height. I had to do. I walked into my apartment and I walked back in eight days. I didn't even know how I got home that night. I walked in, I shut my apartment door and I leaned against it. And I said to myself, well, you have two choices. You can check yourself into a mental hospital, you know, tomorrow morning, or you can pick up a phone and call Club Med. Needless to say, Club Med went out. I called, I happened to get a, a close friend in the Miami office who I had worked with when he was still just a tennis geo in Sandpiper. Javier said to me, are you available? And I said, very. And he said, fine, back, leave tomorrow. I said, you got to give me at least two days. I have to close up my Manhattan apartment. And he said, fine, the ticket will be waiting for you at your mother's. The ticket got here before even I did. They sent me back to Piper again. And ironically, it, it ended up being Xavier, who was my um, village, when I finally got there. Sandpiper, um, and I I started when I went back briefly as animator, and when the French edition low left, I took over the reins and I became chief animation for what was left of that season, which I think was five months. After Sandpiper, I then went to Ixtapa as chief animation, which was truly, I'm from St. Lucia, probably my second best season if, if they don't try seasons ever um and both times it had less to do much less 
you with the location. It was all about the team. The team in St. Lucia, we were as typical with a club of 120 of us. And I would say with almost absolute sureness and certainty that out of the 120 of us, 110 of us were close friends. And a good bit of us still are, thank God. And it was the same thing in Ixtapa. I did my year in Ixtapa, and at the end of that year, where they almost killed me, literally, three times that year, they parasailed me in for three major holidays, for Christmas Day, New Year's Day, and Fourth of July. Christmas Day, they dropped and rolled me in the surface Santa. I got out of the ocean with seaweed in my beard. New Year's Day, they parasailed me as a butterfly for the millennium to represent metamorphosis and change. Again, rolled me into the surf and snapped off a wing. There's a great Facebook picture in my pics of that. And the day before the 4th of July, there shady, shady geos. We were the boys club that year. We were 12 men. We're all management who were very, very close. We worked hard. We played harder. Um, they waited until the night before 4th of July to add, until I was almost clubbed, which for any of us who have worked for the club know is you know a level of drunk old to its own and not level I I you know really wish on anybody because that's just ugly no matter how you shake a stick at it. They asked me if during the barbecue picnic lunch I would put on my cow costume, which I still have and be willing to be chased on the soccer field by a guy on a horse trying to lasso me. Again, that's in my Facebook pictures. And, uh, you know, he did. And he almost choked me to death. And then they asked me also the night before if I would be willing to parasail in you know, later that day as Uncle Sam. I was like, yeah, okay. Parasail guy was about 20 minutes late. And I was seconds away from saying, screw this, hailing a cab, filling it to the club, and then just going to the bar. After I got out of the ridiculously hot polyester Uncle Sam costume, all of a sudden this 300-pound, five-foot-four Mexican guy comes sprinting down the beach. By the time he got me, I was sure he was going to pass out from you know, the run. And when he finally caught enough of his breath to stand up and say to me, have you ever done this before? I'm like, see? He's like, oh, okay. I hooked you into the harness. When you're ready to go, you lift me and we take off. See? He hooks me in. I wave, whoosh. I am 500 feet in the air. And I remember to this day, and this was 2000, looking down and saying to myself, wow, what a really pretty view. And all of a sudden, I hear Teach, who was mini club when I first worked with him in Piper in 92. And then he was mini club in copper with me the, the following year. Teach was another person who played part of Sylvia's Feinstein's made up life. Sylvia Feinstein, grandmother extraordinaire, had a delinquent son. That was Teach. Sylvia also had a younger sister, Blanche Martin. She also had a best friend and Mahjong partner for over 30 years, Gladys. And last but certainly not least, most strictly platonic friend, Mort. <laughs> Adam, who was a magician for the club, who was just an absolute nut, insisted that we create that character for him when we worked together in Copper. 
Um, anyway, I hear Cheech on the microphone saying, ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, it's Uncle Sam. It's Uncle. Okay. The last thing you ever want to hear when you're 500 feet up in the air is whoops. Apparently, the boat engine just died and I plummeted and shot down into the ocean like a sack of cement. How I didn't you know, hurt myself is still a mystery of God, but I missed hitting the rocky inlet that I, I fell into the water next to literally by centimeters. And with the chief of sports and chief of many clubs, both of whom were ex-French Canadian hockey players, sprinted down the beach to make sure I was still alive. And they see me slapping and punching the water and screaming like a drunken sailor. <laughs> and they, of course, both start to laugh. So they come around the security boat to, to get me. No ladder. They got to haul me in like dead fish. They get me over to where the 720 guests and 170 ge uh, geos are waiting for Uncle Sam. And they inform me they can't go in any further. They'll wreck the engine. I have to swim to shore. I'm like, oh, you really got to be kidding me. No, sorry. I swam to shore. I got out again. I have a terrific picture of me with two little girls from uh, the mini club holding either side of me as Uncle Sam with the droopy hat and seaweed in his beard. Seconds later, after I took the picture with the girls, I looked at sports and, and mini club and I said, I'm going to the bar. The kids ask where Uncle Sam is. Tell him he's at the bar. And I walked to the bar and sank onto a, a bar stool. The bartender again, laughing so hard he fell, stood up, and and you know caught his breath. He said to me, "I'm afraid to, but I have to." What happened? And I tell him, and again he starts to laugh circuit. And I said, "You know what? Shut up. Just make me a triple rusty nail and put it on Teach's tab." And down that rather quickly i walked backstage my fresh my french canadian costume designer took one look at me and said uh i'm not even going to ask i'm like see no that's why i love you you're the smart one tell everyone else on the team not to talk to me until i have at least three more cocktails after Ixtapa, they needed the gestion the reception and i all three of us were needed desperately in cancun so they shipped the three of us directly from Ixapa to Cancun. None of us took break in between seasons that that came to. None of us really had a problem with it, um, to be you know, totally fair and honest. Cancun was the only place my dad got to come see me. My mom was with me in Piper a handful of times and Punta Cana and Ixapa. People say this day that Punta Cana was the best chance she's had her entire life, and that the sunsets in Ixtapa were the prettiest ever seen. And she was a fairly traveled woman by that point, so I yeah have to take her word for that. We got to Cancun, and about a week before I was leave Cancun, I started getting these frantic phone calls from geos I didn't even know or had met yet from Cancun saying they couldn't wait for me to arrive. And I'm thinking to myself, dear God, what did I get myself into that, you know, and, and ready to have the change made. And within a minute of my getting there, I knew why. Um, the chief of animation that I replaced was a nightmare to uh, work with. And when I was handing over the reins from 
one sheet of animation to another. I was always there to do that new person's arrival to make them feel welcome and whatnot. He couldn't be bothered. You know what? I didn't really care about that. That wasn't a big deal. Oh, it's Ivano's way or it's no way thing got old very, very quickly. Fortunately, I only had to work with him for two and a half, maybe three weeks. And then he was gone and I took over entirely. Cancun was my first and only opportunity to do singles. Why I, I jumped at the offer to take it when it was you know, extended to me. And GA was one of my 11 bungalow mates from St. Lucia. And she was actually my roommate roommate in Punta Cana. When I was getting ready to finish off Ixtapa, she had quit working for the club in the villages and was working for the Miami office. And at the time, she was in charge of placing animation and uh, sports. So she was the one to call and said to me, do you want to go to Cancun? Needless to say, I said yes. I, I couldn't wait, though, to get back to the kids within weeks. Go ahead, Greg, you have a Cancun question? Yes, sir. Yeah. Just uh, of all the seasons you've done, like, uh, and talking about today, are, can you name like three things you miss most about Club Med? Like, is it travel? Uh, okay. Travel. Hands down the travel, the experiencing different cultures, believe it or not. And the um, broadening my, my language skills. I am, I very foolishly in 92, because I learned to speak and, and understand Yiddish at a very, very early age. By the time I was seven, I understood it enough that when my parents and grandparents suddenly changed from English to Yiddish, because they didn't want my brother and I to understand what they were saying, I realized that I needed to learn the language so that I could translate back for my brother, <laughs> which is exactly what I did. 92, however, with that being said, I met a German family who I foolishly, you know, told that because I spoke what I spoke, I could pretty much understand almost anything they were saying. They were the only German Germans there that week, and they latched onto me like you could not believe. And I, I couldn't shake them to save my life. They took me to Denson Beach out of the club one afternoon so their kids could experience a real beach and not sandpiper, which, you know, mini little beach. And uh, the father, being a nice guy, had no way of knowing I despise beer. I've always hated beer from the very first vivid I took when I was 14. He bought me a big plastic 12-ounce cup of beer from the beach bar, hands it to me, and we toast and whatnot. And I kept taking little sips of it. Yeah, every now and then he would turn away from me and I would dump some of it out. <laughs> and I, I finally get the cup completely empty. And he says to me in German, I have to go get you another one. I'm like, dear God, no. And that was just when the, the band showed up to bring everybody back to the beach. I'm like, ah, gotta go back. Thank God. Talk about saved by the bell. Yeah, do I have more questions for you? <laughs> other other than the uh, the people you've mentioned already, like, are there any other people that you enjoyed working with that you'd like to mention? Tons. The season I did in St. Lucia, because I arrived in April. Actually, it was my favorite arrival. I had a water arrival. And 
let me say this about traveling with Club Med. Most, for the most part, all of my flights to and from were you know, really pretty direct and whatnot. You know, they weren't too complicated. I hope that whoever booked my my flight to St. Lucia and this Miami's office, the Miami office's way of paying me back for what I did. I just realized that. <laughs> I flew from Newark to JFK, which was less than a 30-minute flight. I was on the ground longer than I was in the air. And then they sent me Greg to oh, okay. New York to J- JFK, JFK to Dallas, Dallas to Detroit, Detroit to San Juan, and then finally San Juan to St. Lucia. And the final leg of the trip was a propeller flight, which scared the crap out of me. People I liked, because I ended up having to do like five jobs my first week in St. Lucia, 11 of my closest friends came to me one afternoon and informed me that the scuba couple that was staying in their room or in their bungalow was leaving the following day and I had to go to Howard and tell them I wanted their room. So I did. But rooming with Doug, Patty, Mindy, Chie, Samantha, who was my dance partner, and Sam and Sam, I hope you were really Doug, Samantha, Chie, Mindy, Patty, I think I'm pretty sure you worked with Patty, Craig. I don't recall a, a Patty. Patty that's was possible. Uh, but... She was mini club and sports. I do. Blonde, I do know crazy and 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 very uh, tomboyish for the most part, which is probably why she was sports. I, I I was as I said, I was blessed to work with some of the best chiefs of the village, Greg and Howard, both. Mm-hmm who were both my chiefs of village, Howard twice, Greg, probably four, if not five times. Greg's teasing me about it and, and calling me things that and normally to most other gay men would have been considered really offensive and, you know, nasty and whatnot. I always took it, you know, in the spirit it was intended that, that you know, he was just kind of toying with me. And, he, and Greg never, God love him, questioned um, my motivation for doing what I did when I did it. Howard, on the other hand, rode me like there was no tomorrow as far as questioning everything I did and micromanaging me from start to finish, which made me absolutely batty until I finally left. Howard managed, and I still don't understand how he pulled this off. 60 of us from St. Lucia with him to the Dominican Republic. That was a huge amount of deals for one chief village to take from one to another place. However, that being said, Lionel Verte, even though he got arrested and you know languished in INS for a day less than a week, um, was one of the more fun chiefs of village I worked with. Um, Lionel was basically a tie with Carlos for best of the best. Second place and a very close second place. That was Mike Coltman. Teach takes an easy third. Xavier fourth. I can't see if there was any other chief village I worked with. I really, oh no, didn't like her. And she's passed away as well. So I'm not going to mention that. Not about to speak badly of the dead, especially dead geos and whatnot. Other you know, regular staff that I worked with, Kelly, chief of reception. She and I arrived 
together um, my first night. Our, our flights landed at the same time. And we were best friends from the ride from the airport to the club and remained best friends long after we both stopped working for the club. I, in fact, I went and stayed with her and her husband and, and kids in, uh, I think at the time they were living in either Jensen or somewhere close to Jensen Beach. Oh, I, there weren't too many times when I allowed myself to play gay, you know, where I would overtly gay for a show. Um, if I were not a geo was a number that I had no problem being the hairdresser for. The tennis demo, I had no problem being the gay tennis player. But my favorite to play gay with was Flash Cabaret. The adult comedy gay jokes, I think I added one or two of my own, were truly some of my most enjoyable. I worked with a receptionist who was the secretary upper, who was as sweet as the day as long, little Irish girl with her bright red hair and her freckles, dumb as a brick. <laughs> and, and I don't say that to be mean. She just really was an idiot. Um, and every week I would come off from doing Flash Cabaret and she had such a crush on me. And she would say to me, oh my God, you're so funny playing gay. You do that so well. And the rest of the staff were standing there looking at her like, um, that's because he is, you moron. <laughs> as far as chiefs of service that I worked with, I was pretty blessed for that. You know, one of my three roommates, when I opened Crested in uh, 2000-2001, with Greg as my chief of village again, I very foolishly let them rope me into agreeing to open Crested. And their, the final selling point to get me to finally you know, cave and say, okay, I'll do it. But because it was a brand new club, I was going to have this unbelievably incredible state-of-the-art theater. I arrived, and within moments of my arriving, I found out I had no theater. It wasn't up to code, and they were forced to padlock it for the entire season. So we had to do the shows in the lobby every night. And for some bizarre reason, every night we moved it from one side to the other. It made no sense to me. They were identical. Pick a side, leave the chairs up, and call it a day. Using a guest room as a, a costume makeup room was unbelievably challenging, especially if it was a main show. Because, as you well know, our main stage shows typically had at least 40, if not 60, videos in them. And so that in and of itself was a bit of a, you know, a, a complication I can tell you that um, Survivor, the television show, started in 2000 because I literally had to unplug the TV <laughs> to get the geos out of the, the room, you know, and, and onto the stage. At the end of Preston, I was a bit of an idiot. And I regret this to this day because had I said what I should have said, my life right now might be considerably different. I told them the um, Paris office, because by then I had already passed my stage in Pompadour. Actually, let me circle back for a second. When I worked with Teach Mixtapa, if he said to any of the 12 of us men who were the chief servers, walk with me. Walk with me was the first indication that you did something wrong and you were about to get in trouble for it. <laughs> 
to this day, I read or hear somebody say walk with me and I, I cringe or shudder <laughs> because walk with me was never good. He walked up to me in the middle of the afternoon one day, this would have been like January or February, and said to me, walk with me. And I, I was a little bit tired that afternoon. I was like, oh, what did I do now? He was, no, 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 actually, you'd be surprised. This is actually good news. And he said, in April, they're sending you to Pompadour for three weeks for a stage. And I was like, oh, my God, that is amazing. I've always wanted to do France. In 1992, they informed me that um, I was going to have to learn how to speak French. 80% of the clientele in the summer in Sandpiper is French. And it was either learn to speak it or don't speak for being the first time you're there. I was like, all right. But I foolishly learned to speak it from my French-Canadian friends. No one ever bothered to tell me that Quebecois French, Norwegian French are night and day different. So, you know, when I got to France, I walked around for three days screaming, speak French for God's sake. Finally adjusted, I learned, you know, what I needed to do and whatnot. And they did have a good time laughing when I misunderstood something or said something incorrectly. So, you know, it, it was a little bit of a comedy of errors, but it was a, a wonderful stage. But because of it, my mother's first two days in Ixtapa, she was there and I wasn't. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I was an itty bit concerned about that when I found out that was how I was going to play out. Turned out it was fine. You know, nothing was, you know, any kind of issue. In fact, she couldn't wait for me to arrive because the geos were so on top of her, making sure everything was okay. They were making her crazy. Yeah, just one last question, Sammy, because I know mm-hmm. I've taken a lot of your time. I was curious to know with all the villages you've done, if there was one season in particular that stood out, or do you like them all in certain ways? Was 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 there that magical season for you? St. Lucia. Really? Wow. No didn't, question. Didn't even asked. hesitate. No. I'm, well, I mean, my favorite chief of management room was uh, crested. They put the chief of boutique and myself, who were best of friends by day one, and a baking couple from uh, the kitchen team in an apartment. We weren't in room rooms. We were actually in an apartment with a fireplace. We had our own rooms and, and shower tubs and whatnot, a full kitchen, uh, television, stereo. And it was unreal. So that was a favor for accommodations. But for almost anything else, St. Lucia, because that was the first time that I was seriously committed to um, another geo. I mean, I dated other guys over the years, but nothing like Bobby and St. Lucia, who, thank God, both of my my club exes I'm still close with, thank God, thank God for the computer. Um, you know, it's funny, if I hadn't done Extapa, I might not have an email address because our, our last day together, one of the guys asked me for my email address. I said, I don't have an email account email account where you are going to have the most astronomical phone bill in the world. So the chief reception, my, my very first email account, which I think is still active, but I've been so long since I bothered to check in on it. Who the hell knows? Extapa is barely a, a second place for that because both seasons were unbelievable. But when I went into Howard's office in St. Lucia and informed him that because I was at the time with the Chief of Animation, the Chief of Annex, 
my lighting engineer got electrocuted on the roof of the theater, so he was out of commission. My choreographer had gone on vacation for two weeks. He was nowhere to be seen. And my set designer got deported. <laughs> he was out for a couple weeks. So that only left myself and the sound guy, Ralph, to do everything. I worked in Howard's office. And I pulled my arms out to my side, said, Jesus, and I said, like, now I'm going to across now, Howard. I'm kicked. Here's the deal. I didn't ask for anything when you gave me all of these extra jobs to do. Um, I didn't ask for a raise. I didn't ask for extra bar tickets. I didn't ask for anything. Here's the deal. You're going to give me and see to it that I get a single room that the scuba couple is vacating in the Eleuther bungalow with GA and Sam and all of them. Or I swear and promise you, I will make the next nine months of your life a living hell. That's how it's going to work. And he said to me, and he chuckled, in fact, you're serious about this. I said, oh, that's a heart attack. This is either going to happen or you're going to be miserable. So make it happen. Following day, and he said to me, fine, go take it. <laughs> so the following day, I moved into the Luther bungalow with my closest friends. Um, they nicknamed our bungalow the, the Animal House. We had a sheet over our back porch that painted on party here tonight with an arrow pointing down. With the exception of our all naked geo toga party, um, almost all of our uh, geo parties that we had over there, and it was all of them except for one, ended up in my room. They, they finished in my well, Sammy, my God, I know you could probably go on along. You've had a long, oh, yeah. long history, but I do really, from the bottom of my heart, want to thank you for for sharing your story and and coming on the show to tell us all about it. I really, really do thank you for sharing. Thank you so much. Pleasure was absolutely mine, Greg. Mine too. I, I could not have been happier. And you know what? And I've said this from the very first month of working for the club. Number one, you're never going to get a better vacation money you know there is something literally for everybody at club med number two you know if you're out to or if you're trying to experience every culture on the planet that's basically one of the best places to do it if you're in a friendly you know accepting kind of atmosphere and you're going to meet a little bit of everybody and everything um sandpiper the other thing i learned was that the Wasabi that was also placed always at the around the world buffet, right next to the the Mexican stuff, so it looked like guacamole. I much like every other refugio took a big old spoonful of that and stuffed it into my mouth. <laughs> you know, again, lesson learned. Okay. No, yeah, beware of the wasabi and sandpiper. <laughs> you are listeners beware of the wasabi <laughs> so, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, because I, it looks like guacamole they put yes, it right it next does. to the mexican come on just, okay everyone yeah, I, I can honestly say though that the food in sandpaper was the best of any place i worked I, and i can say that without a doubt sandpaper's food even beat pompadour fair and honest was eh. but no, it, it, it was an amazing experience. And I would do every single bit of it over again in a heartbeat. The bad and otherwise. Yeah. Mm -hmm. well, well, thank you again, uh, Sammy. Because and so, sorry, Sammy. <laughs> I was going to say the good way outweighs the bad. It does. 
it always does. And you remember the uh, the more older you get, you just remember the good the good memories, or you hold oh, on yeah. to the good ones. Oh yeah. Well, that was Sammy Orondecker, everyone from uh, from from Florida, via New Jersey, New Jersey via Florida. And I want to yeah. thank you again. And we'll see you all next week, people. Say bye, Sammy. Bye bye, guys. Bye.